Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Mayu Taba, and just me today. Austin is somewhere in Europe, but he went to France and I think somewhere else as well with Lillian. So they're just traveling around. So it's just going to be me today. I figured I'd talk a little bit about what I'm actually what I've been up to for the last one or two weeks. So let's start with the economy first, shall we? So obviously, inflation came in pretty decent year over year. I think it was like 3.4% or some or Something like that, maybe it was 4%. But overall, and that's what you were seeing all over the media. It's inflation is down year over year and it came down to a reasonable number. I blank out what that number was. But what wasn't being discussed was the month over month variance in inflation, right? So I think we were still in a 0.4% month over month, which if you extrapolate that out, that is essentially a 4.8% inflation rate if that happens every single month, which is a major hit, right? So obviously we don't know, but I think there was a, a whole lot of media just pushing this narrative that we're getting inflation under control, when in reality, the year-over-year measure for inflation, like CPI is a year-over-year measure, and the prior year baseline was just a lot higher. So the result of which was we had a lower year-over-year number, but the month-over-month was kind of being glossed over a little bit, which I didn't really like. So, you know, I've, I've been having a lot of conversations with a lot of people about, you know, where, what does that mean for where we're going with rates? And ultimately, I just don't think we had any significant impact from that TPI number. And I don't think it's going to change what's likely an upcoming July rate hike, right? And I don't think it's going to impact our rates coming down for any time soon until maybe we start to see unemployment drastically increase, right? Everyone that's waiting for that opportunity of, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for real estate prices to drop. It doesn't seem like it's dropping, to be honest with you, right? And what it would honestly take for it to drop is mass unemployment. And then I would just question who really has the ability to buy during mass unemployment. Government workers, you guys are probably pretty good. Doctors, maybe dentists, not really sure, right? But there's a couple of industries that would be untouched and they might be able to kind of benefit from it. But for the most part, anyone that's in private sector employment is at risk, right? Of not even being able to take advantage of the so-called potential dip that might come in the market. But that's enough about the economy. I'll talk quickly about what I've been doing for the last one or two weeks here. So you guys already know early on in the year, we sold off a bunch of single families, duplexes, triplexes, small stuff. When I say a bunch, it's maybe like four or five of them, right? It's in total about like seven or eight units. And a big focus was just on reallocating that capital into assets that I'd actually want to hold for the next couple of years. Anyone that's heard me talk before knows that I never really talked about a five-year timeline because what we were doing five years ago is very different from what I'm doing today. And that's very different from what I will be doing five years into the future, right? So as, as a result of uh, repositioning a lot of the assets, we, we're closing a sevenplex tomorrow. That one's been a crazy fucking transaction. I'll tell you guys about that probably in a week or two once it's uh, fully closed and done with. But that project's exciting. It'll be a conversion project, a huge lift, uh, a couple hundred thousand lift potential there. So not too concerned. Talk to my planners and then everyone that we need to get on board and they're, they're ready to get started as soon as it closes. So that one's good. Uh, I've been having this conversation with my wife recently where she was questioning, you know, how much time are we focusing on? So there's two types of investments, right? So there's, there's one that's a passive investment. There's one that's an active investment. The passive investment for me is the real estate portfolio. The active investment for me is a mortgage business, right? So we're investing more and more time into the mortgage business. We recently got the CMP award for top mortgage agents under 35. So really 
appreciate that. I appreciate all my clients for letting me get there. Shout out to them. But from here, where do we go? And we're kind of growing out the team and the business model as a whole. In the last like 12 months, we've seen a lot of clients that used to be on the A side go out to the B side. A lot of B side clients moving towards private financing temporarily, right? We've been lending on a lot more types of commercial and fix and flip homes. We've really gone deep in the private side. We'll lend on a lot of deals where I just perform a risk assessment. And I always look at things, and this is how I used to do on the real estate investing side when we were attracting joint venture partners and talking to JV, JVs about it. I would find a deal myself. I'd be happy to, in this case, loan on it myself, right? And then I'll put the opportunity out to other individuals that have wanted to loan with me in the past. And if none of them take the deal, then I'll just find it myself, right? And so that risk assessment is what we send out in an email. So if anyone wants to become a private lender, minimal requirements to work with us is about 300 grand in capital. We do ask questions on income, et cetera, because we want to make sure that you actually have the risk appetite for it. I think that's more important than, than just having the capital, right? And then we keep a pretty small group of private lenders. The issue is that we've been doing a lot of private loans and now my current pool of private lenders are running out of capital. So we're bringing out a few more individuals. I posted a bunch of stories about it as well. So go to my page and uh, I drop your email on my private lending form. Just click the link on my bio and you'll kind of find that form. Drop your information there. And if it's a good fit, we'll add you to the email list. But that's really the main bread and butter for me is just the mortgage business. The real estate business has kind of stayed on the backbone, but I did kind of reset my goals. My wife asked me a question of, because I've obviously been super busy for the last like one or two weeks, but she was just like, look, like when's retirement? Like, when, when's enough? When are you going to stop? And just kind of maybe sit, stop and think. And we set a new goal for ourselves. And, and that timeline is now three years from now. So we shall see. Maybe I'll share that goal in the future, but not yet. Probably have to check with her first. So... On that topic, Matty is our guest today. He's actually an investor that I connected with. I want to say in like 2020, back when I was doing coaching calls, Matty had actually had a coaching call with me. And at that time, he had, I want to say it was like a duplex, maybe a triplex and just those two properties. And, and we were talking about growing into multifamily. He's based out of Nova Scotia and he since then restructured a bunch of his portfolio, sold off a bunch of small stuff. He's bought a fourplex and a sixplex. And we, he recently just completed his first 24 unit building deal in Cleveland. I believe they've already closed on that one, but he is looking at other deals. So if you guys are interested in the U.S. market, definitely a good guy to get connected with. A great investor, both in Canada and now in the U.S. as well. He's partnered up with some heavy hitters for sure as well. So in this episode, we we talked a little bit about the Halifax market, rent cap, tenant eviction difficulties. They have a lot of similarities between the Ontario and the Halifax markets. But we also more importantly talked about how we transitioned into the U.S. real estate investing, compared that to the Canadian business model how you actually go through the process of finding and deciding on a 24 unit property in Cleveland, right? And then what he kind of did to help him grow into this position. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode. As always, Austin says it better, but you know, make sure you guys share the podcast as loud as possible on social media, share with your network, share with anyone that's interested in real estate investing, but hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Manny Shipro. Manny, how's everything going, my man? Pretty good, fellas. How about you guys? Doing good, Manny. Obviously, uh, Austin was asking me how we met. I was like, I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> like, so for anyone else that might not know you, uh, why don't you give everybody a quick background on yourself and uh, you know your early days? I remember we had a call like, years ago, I feel like, on just years how ago. you got started. Yeah, yeah, it was. Right? A long time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, man. So... Mayu, actually, you were like my first connection to like the vast investors in Ontario because I just oh, yeah? followed you on Instagram <laughs> one time and then we had a call and then it just kind of spiraled from there. But yeah, again, tell you guys about myself. I'm a registered nurse here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I have been a nurse for about almost five years now and 
after about a year of nursing, I said, this is not it. I need something else. So I started looking into real estate investing and that's kind of how it all began because I didn't want to do my day job anymore and um, started off with the good old duplex house hack situation. And then it just spiraled from there, kind of fell in love with real estate and yeah, never looked back. That was the most high level introduction ever, man. He's so, so you <laughs> yeah. started off in, uh, in Nova Scotia, but you had accumulated, I think, quite a bit now in Nova Scotia as well, right? Or did you sell those properties off or? Yeah, I've sold a couple of them off. So, you know, I started off the duplex, held it for a year, and then I actually did sell it. And then I burned two triplexes, and then I bought a fourplex and a sixplex, and I actually sold both of those two. And I'm just reinvesting a lot of my cash in the States now. But yeah, I, at my peak, I got up to about 18 units. And then, um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Me and Austin have now dispose of a lot of our shitty, uh, shitty assets as well. And like uh, some areas that maybe don't make sense to keep forever. Right. And then you redeploy it. So yeah, redeploy it right away. They've all been like good profits. Even the two triplexes I have now, it's like, I would sell them too, if the right offer came my way, but I'm trying to stagger them. Like, so I don't have yeah. to pay as, like up that fat capital gains tax. Yeah. I'm fearing what next year is going to be like. So <laughs> we'll see what next year brings. Yeah. <laughs> so let's kind of break down early into your journey. You mentioned following Mayu, starting off with everything and then getting involved in the real estate realm. How were the beginning sort of, uh, I, I don't know if it was a year or a few months before you bought your first property. Why don't you walk us through that and how you were able to arrive at your first purchase of being a duplex? Sure. So luckily my real estate agent was just an amazing guy, an investor himself. And he actually taught me everything that I first initially knew about real estate. And he guided me along the process. He taught me about cap rates, you know, how to analyze a deal, all that stuff. And that's how I kind of came across that first duplex and it went well. And then there was a little bit of a lag before like my next investment property. So I brought that first duplex in like in February. And then I bought my personal residence with my wife that summer. And then I didn't buy my next triplex until February of the next year. And really in that timeline, between like the duplex and the triplex is where I really absorbed a lot of knowledge. So that's when I first came across your guys' podcast and then Bigger Pockets and read all the books, listened to all the podcasts, watched all the YouTube videos and just learned as much as I could. One second too, I just want to take a step back and say how cool this is for me because when I was first <laughs> learning about real estate, I binged listened to all of your guys' stuff. So fast forwarding a few years and me being here is really cool for me. Oh, no, we just brought Manny on to hype us up a little bit. So, <laughs> did a good yeah, job, Manny. Over. <laughs> no, man, this is, this is it's like a bucket list. Next, I need to get on the bigger pockets, and then I'm I'm set. You're done. You're retired. No. Yeah, I'm done on pockets. No, so sorry, like you place. had the duplex, and you were doing the house hacking there, right? And then getting educated, I think, is like one part of it. Yes, but you know, you you continue to scale. I think at home, right? So walk us through, like, how did you get into the next like one or two deals, like the triplex? Like, how did you go about like accumulating down payment? Executing the strategy to use private funds that you bring on partners. And then I'd also love to just touch on like kind of like that Nova Scotia market and some of the stuff we're talking about offline. Yeah, sure. So that first duplex, right? You know, 5% down, it's pretty easy. I just saved up the cash for my day job. After that, the next one, like, so the, after that, then like it was my single family home with my wife. We just bought that with our cash as well. And then the, the next was the triplex. And how I got that one was because I convinced my mom and my dad to loan me the down payments. I explained to them like the Burr model. I'm like, this is, you know, if you give me this amount of money, I'm going to do this. This is how much I bought the building for. This is what it's going to be worth after, right? And they just put their faith in me and it worked out. So like- yeah, they bought in? Yeah, they bought in. Most adults in our parents' generation are kind of like skeptical. It's like, how could you buy something at like this value? And then like, it's 
magically going to be worth like some other value and just like skeptical like it took some, some appraisers don't even get it yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> these are the fucking words old ones yeah yeah it took some convincing but i was able to get them on board and after that first one was successful it made the second one a little easier and then once that one was successful then my parents were just all in they're like okay you know what you're doing you know we have faith in you and they my mom actually and my dad they own one rental property so they believe in real estate as well just a single family home they don't really run it as a business at all but we won't get into that but um yeah so that's how i was able to recycle that first initial amount of cash for those two triplexes and how i was able to pay for the renovations was just lines of credit and mm-hmm. i was able to just raise some private funds with just some promissory notes with just some people in my close network that kind of believed in me as well mm-hmm. and i gave them yeah. their returns you know they were getting 12% that's the big thing, right? People automatically will jump on social media and try to raise from people that they have no relationship with, which is fine if it works. But for a lot, it's a competitive space, right? And if you don't have anyone that knows, likes and trusts you, they're not going to give you money a lot of the times. For you, you tapped into the network of people who already know you, who you've had a track record because you've done one successful property. So they join on the second one, the third one, the fourth one, right? Tapping your inner circle to raise capital kind of want to speak about the renovations and value add that you're doing on your early births because some people will do cosmetic reno some people will do tenant turnover and then getting up to market rents like what sort of burrs were you doing with the first few projects so yeah i definitely learned my lessons on those first couple i wanted to do cosmetic and the next thing you know the full gut and then the budget just skyrockets so i was luckily i was able to kind of recoup my costs because at this time the halifax market was skyrocketing so it was very forgiving but then for like the sixplex, the one that I did the latest, you know, I did not do a full guard. I had the same contractor throughout. He did all my stuff. And like the first couple of buildings, you know, we were taking everything down to the studs. You know, we'd get beautiful units, but like just got very expensive. Right. So this last building said, no, man, this is not what we're doing. Like we just need new kitchen. We're not taking any walls down. We'll patch up drywall, new kitchen, floor, stuff like that. Try to really make it more conservative, the amount of money that we were putting into it. And what was the thought process behind that? Because a lot of people will look at like, oh, full gut, that's where the margins are made or whatever, you know, like, oh, more work needed, the better price we're going to get. What was the thought process, the shift where you wanted to be in and out of projects quickly or do cosmetic renos? Like what was going through your head? Because it sounds like the first few projects, you already had experience in that realm. So one of the big reasons I was getting the same rent. I could put 40K worth of renos into this building and get $2,000 rents, or I can put 25K and still get $2,000. So in that regard, I'm saving 15 grand, still getting the same rents and the timelines. Those first two triplexes, they took too long. Whereas like, I didn't, I don't want you to take the drywall down. The contract that I use, he subtrades that out and like he just wasn't getting great drywall guys. So it was just taking way longer than I'd like. Whereas if we don't have to do those things, I can save months and right. time is everything in this game, right? That's so true. And I think a big part of it as well is like, you got to kind of know your area that you're in, right? If you're in an area with a lot of triplexes, like basically an appraisal package is four options, right? It's like superior condition. I think it's average condition, good, and then inferior or something like that, right? That's basically the four buckets. And superior condition in a rental grade area is just fresh paint, some fresh floors. If you got a fresh kitchen, you're Gucci, like you're good, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You really don't really need to go beyond that, right? Like obviously if you're in like Rhino Path and like downtown Toronto, like, yeah our rental grade stuff is going to be considered like inferior, right? But after that, I think it's just like knowing like what kind of renovation do I need to do to really just master this appraisal gate, right? You're not flipping them. So really you're selling it to the appraiser, right? You just need to convince him of the value. You learned on like the duplexes and the triplex where your risk is limited. 
right? And then that way, by the time you got to the sixplex, where like if you were doing a full guard run reno on every unit in a sixplex, that bill would have been way bigger, right? And those learning lessons would have been way more painful, right? So I think that's an important lesson for anyone else listening as well here. Why did you go for the fourplex and the sixplex? Like, what was the logic? Because I arguably, like the duplex and the triplex, if they're going good, like why not just keep going down that route? So at this time, I was able to get those first buildings on the market because yeah. we were in a different market at that time. Prices weren't crazy. You could still get a good, a good deal on the MLS. But then the four and the six were off market because now we had shifted. We were in a heavy buyer's market. Anything that was on the market was just, you know, super inflated. There were no really good deals to be had. That's kind of why I was able to shift. If I was to buy those, the four and the six that I bought, like on the market instead of off market, I could have spent an extra like four or 500 grand. It would have killed the deal. I wouldn't have bought it. Interesting. Okay. Tell me a little bit as well about like the Halifax market. Cause I know New Brunswick was a craze for a while. Like, I don't even know if it's still popping off. I'm not too sure. I haven't bought there in a while, but what's been going on in Halifax? Like, what is the investing landscape out there? Right. And we were talking about this just before, but sounds like you've got, you know, similar tenant issues to us. I think there's like other province investor tax as well, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So yeah, just give us a rundown. So the thing is, I'm real bullish on Halifax, man. I really love the city. I think it's poised for growth. But like you said, the problems are like, it used to be a landlord friendly province in Nova Scotia. We had no rent cap. It was pretty easy to kind of turn over units. But then pretty much once COVID hit, just oh, really? did a whole 180. Um, at that point, they stuck a, a 2% rent cap in. And then the guy that ended up winning like the, the election here, he ran his whole election on not believing in rent caps. So like a lot of people voted for him. I voted for him. And then he <laughs> gets into power and then he quickly changes his mind. And he said, let's do a rent cap for another three more years. And then like that three years was supposed to be up. 2024. And then he's like, just kidding. We're going to continue it again, but we're going to increase the 5%. And while this is wow. all going on, like the whole climate around landlords and especially in Halifax, it's just real. Publicly, if you look at the comment section or any posts, it's like, we're all just greedy landlords. All we want to do is jack up rent. It's not a friendly environment for <laughs> any landlord by any means. And if you have a crappy tenant, similar to you guys, like it's tough to get them out. Like we at least have the option to rent evict. I feel like it's tricky in Ontario. I'm not quite sure the rules. I think what Austin was telling me at the start, but even in Halifax, it's hard to get rid of a trouble tenant. Again, you have to do major renovations, So it has to be unlivable. But even then, like the tenancy officer that does your hearing, they always look for reasons not to favor you on their uh, decision. Just because our vacancy rate's so low here, they just don't want to displace anybody for any reason, even if it's for good reason. I have some friends that have some like terrible, terrible tenants, like people are getting shot in their apartment, but they can't get them out. You know, they can't get them out. And even though it's making the apartment unlivable for everybody else, they just care about that one person. It's unfortunate. That's kind of the reason why I started looking elsewhere. Mm -hmm. The eventual, sorry, Austin, but the eventual result is you just have landlords that don't take care of their properties because there's no incentive to do so. Um, and yeah. then you've got a bunch of slumlords, which kind of where we're at in Ontario, right? So it is yeah. what it is, man. Uh, that's interesting. It's tough. Yeah. And also prices are high. Prices went up here a lot in, in Halifax, you know, once upon a time you could get, you know, hundred K a door type of thing, but prices skyrocketed. I don't know if you remember, Austin, we talked to someone at Andrew Hines event back in 2019, like one of the first one or two events that we went to. And that individual was telling me how he was buying Nova Scotia, but not the HRM. Okay. And he was buying for like 20K a unit or something like that. And I was like, 
bullshit. I was, we were so skeptical about it. And then like, <laughs> I still remember we kind of, like, it was like obviously off market deals and like really like random parts of like, like when you look it up on a map, there's like nothing around it and stuff like that. But I believe it. 20k unit was kind of crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's believable. I know people that are still buying stuff like 40k, 50k door. But again, like you said, they're not even close to the HRM. They are, right. you know, two yeah. or three, four hours away. Mm-hmm. So does that mm-hmm. mm-hmm. work in Nova Scotia or no? In like the outskirts? It can. It can work. Like it depends on the price you get it and it depends on your investment strategy. Like if you're just strictly going for cash flow and you get it at a crazy good deal and the rents are kind of, they work, it can work, but like, don't expect any appreciation. Make sure you analyze with a high vacancy rate type of thing, but it does work. Yeah. I think there's risk of their own in investing in those small, it's like investing in like Timmins in Ontario, for example, right? It's like, yeah, it works on paper until it doesn't work because there's a layoff and you know, the people lose their job, people, population goes down over time, not up in those places, so on and so forth. Actually, before we get in the U.S., one more question I have is you mentioned the thought process of why you wanted to transition over to the States. Have you faced any of these troubles yourself with your six unit, four unit and duplexes and triplexes? And if so, how did you overcome them if you were able to overcome them? Man, I've been blessed. I've had no tenant issues. Actually, I take that back. The first duplex I had, I didn't have a property manager and the tenants used to always bicker. And then I was the middleman. That was very annoying to me. I hated that because they were grown ups, like they were in their 40s. I think I was 25, 26, and I was like babysitting adults. So I found that annoying. But other than that, I've had absolutely no issues turning over my buildings. You know, I've kind of went in there with pretty firm cash for keys offers. I've listened to your guys' stuff. I've kind of like just mimicked how you guys do your cash for key stuff, and it's worked pretty well. So yeah, tenant issues is not the reason why I pivoted personally. Mm-hmm. But I know people mm-hmm. that have, and it's all, it's inevitable here. Like you're going to have a tenant issue at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. So let's, let's jump into the state. When did you get started into looking in the state and how do you even begin getting started investing in the U.S.? There's so much from taxes, corporation, what realtor to work with. And in this case, it's actually long distance, like a totally... You know, like we're not investing in Canada anymore. We're in the U.S. Yeah. So it started last summer. I wanted to start investing in the States. I, I feel like there was a guy, a local guy here that told me he was investing in Florida and Texas. And I'm like, oh, cool. And he explained to me like, you know, you can get pretty cool price per door and stuff like that. And at that same time is when like the Halifax market was not only on fire, but like the whole socioeconomic stuff, it was getting tough here. You know, like landlords are being hated. It was hard to turn. And I wanted to buy a big building. That was my thing. I just thought they were cool. To be honest, like I just, <laughs> yeah, that was always like just a dream of mine to own like a big ass apartment building. And it was hard to do here in Halifax. Though that was the reason. And uh, why was it hard to do in Halifax? Actually, let's quickly touch on that. Just the price and the competition, the people I'm competing with. So if I want to buy a 24 unit here in Halifax, there's, you know, four or five of those multi-generational families that have been here for like a long time. Right. A few REITs here that are buying these buildings at numbers that just don't make sense. You know, because they are, are in a They've cash position. They've got yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can lose money five, 10 years. They don't care because they know on the back end it'll work. After that, it's not even like losing money. They're just, they're fine to put like 30, 40% down and just kind of like park their money and they just want a vehicle for it, right? Yeah. We're obviously not in that same situation, right? So I'm not. Okay. Well, so it didn't work. And then you decided you wanted to buy Maltese in the US or were you still looking at Florida and Texas? So Florida and Texas were just like the hot spots at the time. I didn't really care. I just wanted to buy something in the U.S. And like, obviously there are certain metrics that I'm looking for. Like we can get into that too. But before I got into any of that, you know, I was looking around kind of the marketplace 
like, so, okay. Before I get into that, I joined a mentorship program in January of last year, like uh, Corey McKinnon's and Michael Watch was my coach. And I, I received, you know, great growth by having him as a coach. And at this time I was looking for a coach that can help me invest in the States. I'm like, how many people are out there? And I was able to come across one, you know, Thomas Larini, you know, Alfonso Quadra came to Halifax. He did a weekend boot camp, and he was telling us about the different streams. They have a multifamily stream, a U.S. stream and a land development stream. And I was super interested in U.S. at that time. So I just signed up on the spot. In fact, I was Thomas's first student. And yeah, the rest is kind of history from there. I learned a lot. I soaked up everything I could from my calls with him and just the different connections. And yeah, never turned back. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so you, now that you've decided you want to invest in the U.S., you got Thomas kind of guiding you there. But how did you actually get into that? Because like, still like, OK, deciding is one thing, right? But like realistically, there's a lot of kind of layers and barriers and barriers to entry for Canadian, right? Yes. Deciding on the market, yeah, they kind of like lead us through the next steps right there after you decided that you want to get in. Sure. So I joined the program in June. And at that time, I was working with a few other people. There's like five of us and. One of the guys was like the main guy. He was kind of guiding us. He's like, let's buy thousands of units. I'm like, sure, let's do that in the States. So then me and my buddy were just hunting for deals nonstop. And in this time frame, we were trying to set up the correct corporate structure, create a fund, all this stuff. Pretty complex stuff. And then it didn't pan out. You know, it just kind of dwindled away at, at this time. But at the same time, I was still looking. I was still looking for deals. Just stuff that would kind of paper out. And I want to say around April of this year. So from June until like, November, I was with that other group and it just didn't work out. And then from like December onwards, it was just me and my buddy looking for deals. And then we found one like in April of this year. I'm like, this is the 24 unit that we just closed on. I'm like, these numbers work, man. Like, this is pretty nice. And I had finished my mentorship with Thomas at this point. He was no longer my coach. I showed Thomas. I'm like, Thomas, take a look at the numbers on this deal, man. This is pretty nice. And he kind of agreed. And we just kind of went down the rabbit hole there. And Thomas ended up being my partner on that one. So me, Thomas, and then my buddy Ian are like the general partners. And then we raised cash from other investors. In fact, I put a good chunk of cash in it myself and kind of went from there. But that's kind of how I went from just looking at deals like last summer to early fall to like actually putting in offers early this year and kind of taking one down. Mm -hmm. So let's walk through sort of... uh finding, finding deals in the States. I'm not sure if you went into the state that you decided to invest in. How did you decide in that particular state? And were you looking at deals only in that particular state or all across the state, the USA? I keep on saying states. I know it's confusing people. <laughs> it's funny you say that because when I initially started looking for deals, I was just looking in Republican states that have landlord friendly rules. There's many. So I had deals coming to me from like, 15 different states. And it just got a little overwhelming because USA, it's a massive population. There's lots of inventory and I had tons of deals coming my way. And I'm like, I can't analyze all of these. So I had to take a step back. I'm like, okay, guys, we need to pick two, three states to focus on and then go from there. So we picked Ohio, Texas, and like South Carolina, I think it was. And then Texas itself, it's massive, you know, 28 million yeah. people. It's like its own little country. So I'm like, okay, if we're going to focus on Texas. We need to like <laughs> kind of pick where in Texas. And then I can zero in. We ended up just taking a break from Texas altogether. And we just picked Ohio, specifically Cleveland. One of the reasons is because Thomas, one of the partners, he already had a building in Cleveland. He had connections there. So we were like, okay, let's just take a look at stuff there. I was connected with a realtor from, he's actually in Cincinnati, but he just deals with all of Cleveland. And this guy was pumping me deals, sending them to me nonstop. And he'd also just tell me a lot about 
different areas. This is because there's many good spots in Cleveland, but there's quite a few rough spots you don't want to invest in as well. So he would advise me. And then this one deal came along the way. He sent it to me. I analyzed it. He told me what he thought about the area. Talked to Thomas. You know, I made a lot of calls to different property managers and stuff to see if like if this was a good area. And just kind of went from there. And then we we ended up buying it. But yeah, just to answer your question, like you have to pick a state. If you're you're gonna pick a bunch, it's impossible, man. Unless you have a whole team that can just constantly analyze deals for you as just one person or two people, there's just too many deals. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I was looking at the US for a bit and I signed up for a bunch of like wholesale emails and like all this stuff. And like the amount of wholesale deals just coming out, like it was crazy. It was just like it overflowed my inbox. I'm like, no, I gotta, yeah, I gotta get to you. You know, like I still get the guy from this shit. <laughs> like I have like 30 emails every day from different wholesalers, and I should unsubscribe because I had to delete them. I don't even read them because yeah, <laughs> but I yeah, just yeah. kind of scroll through and delete. I think ultimately, like in the states, yeah, you can decide on a state, but like even that one state will have so many cities of like. I mean, yeah, you look at Ontario, like Ontario will have a lot of cities that someone could get distracted as well by, but like, it's not like when we think about Alberta, where it's like Alberta, okay, you've got Calgary, you've got Edmonton and that's it, right? And those are kind of two states. In the state like Ohio, you've got at least like, I think there's three or four, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and another C that I'm blanking on. Columbus. Columbus, there you go. Yeah, and then you've got all these like, and those are like the large cities. And then you've got still some like smaller, I don't know what's called, like a town, but they still have like a decent population behind the kind of you know, compared to Canada, everything is decent population, right? So exactly. Yeah, definitely it's complicated, but okay. So you found the 24 unit, you decided you're going to part, and I'm assuming you found the 24 unit. Was it through like a realtor? Was it off market? It was through a realtor, through a realtor. Okay. Yeah. You're a realtor. Yeah. And so you found this and now you ran your numbers. You did your due diligence, right? You decided that you want to go through with it. Where do you go from there? How do you actually raise the capital? What were the numbers on the deal? I don't know if you're able to share it, right? What's the projected timeline? Like, how do you guys do the structure? Give us those juicy details. Sure. So yeah, it was 24 units building in Cleveland. All of them, three bedroom, one bath, like large three bedrooms, all about 1,000 to 1,100 square feet. 1.35 million USD was the purchase price. Was that wow. like 50, 55 a unit? Yeah, it's about that 55 a unit. Initially, what it was going to be was going to be 1.4 mil plus 50K cash back on close. Yeah. But the lender, like literally on the 12th hour, was not willing to play ball anymore. So they just made us reduce it to 1.35, no cash back, which was fine. But yeah, so how we raised the money is just, we just reached out to all our close contacts. So like it was, there's three of us, right? Me, Thomas and Ian, we were the general partners. I had one guy pretty quickly, he was on board. Like he said, you know, just tell me when. And then Thomas had three other people on board. And then to finish it off, man, I was just finishing the sale of my six units. So I'm like, I got some cash here, man. This is a nice deal. I like this deal. And I'd like to just kind of take my cash and just put it here. So I put a good chunk of my own money in it as well. And the timeline on this one, we are expecting like about 18 month turnaround because five units were already vacant on when we bought it. So we're already just, we're filling those units right now, doing some renovations. Another thing about renovations in Cleveland, man, cheap, cheap compared to Canada. You know, I was just talking to a guy about it today. We're getting quoted at 6,500 a unit. You know, new kitchen, <laughs> new bathroom, floor, paint, just like quick cosmetic renovation, 6,500. And they can do it in two weeks here in Halifax. That'll cost me 30 grand and it'll take a month at least, you know? Damn. So we bought it for 1.35. We expect the exit to be around, you know, 2.6, 2.7 million. And then hopefully it's a perfect burr and then just kind of go from there. And it cash flows on the buy, you know, mm-hmm. even with the financing we have in place. Actually, it was just breaking even. We got a bridge loan. So it was like 11.49% interest rate and it was just breaking even. 
as soon as we fill those five vacancies, we're in a solid position. And then as we turn over the units for the next year and a half or so, it just becomes easier. And turning over units in Cleveland, it's very easy compared to anywhere in Canada. Mm -hmm. And do you go through sort of a slow turnover process because you don't, I mean, you can't renovate all the units at one go. So like, how do you pick and choose which units to turn over? And also I'm curious to dive a bit more into the numbers as well. Like what cap rate on entry is, what cap rate on exit is. And you said you've analyzed a lot of deals. So what made this deal stand out? And what were the other deals that came on your plate where you're just like, this doesn't work because of ABC reasons? Like you just said a cash flows on the buy or neutral on the buy. Is that like a make or break for you, for example? Yeah, especially at the high interest rate. Like if it doesn't cash flow on the buy or it's close, there has to be a direct path to that being the case. One of the big reasons why we picked this market is because it's one of the strongest cash flowing markets in America. That's kind of why. And to touch on your previous question, what we were trying to do about the turnover. So like we have five of them that were vacant, take care of those first. And then we were just going to target like four or so at a time. You know, we don't want to like kick everybody out at once because we still have mortgage payments to give <laughs> to pay. Right. And how we were going to pick those four or five at a time was just based on just like their history there. Are they delinquent tenants or like if they're all fine, then just kind of who has the lowest rent and then just kind of go from there and just. Uh -huh. And how about the number side of things that you've had deals on your plate that you've turned down and this one stood out? Could we walk through the numbers on this deal and the other ones that you've turned down? Yeah. So the ones that I turned down were usually just because they're just priced high, you know, like, or like they were super negative cash flow or this weren't good deals <laughs> to, be, to be honest with you, just similar to Canada. Like there's not much difference how I analyze this deal in the States versus how I do them in Canada. I'm pulling up the numbers on our deal here. I'd be curious to see what the cap rate was on the purchase and what kind of cap rate you guys would pick on the exit. But mm -hmm. it sounds like one of your major criteria, which does kind of make sense as well, is ultimately it's got to cover a high cost of debt on the purchase, right? Because it sounds like you're getting about like private financing around like 11 to 12 kind of percent, right? Some sort of bridge private financing until you're able to stabilize and refinance into some sort of traditional lender, it sounds like, right? And then obviously, if you guys are going the way of a fund, because, okay, so when we're doing this in Ontario, like it's really dilapidated, right? Because we'll be buying it and then we'll cover the holding costs until we can rent out the unit. And then after the unit turning over and if there's a vacancy and there's a CapEx call or whatever, we're putting more and more money into the deal, right? But if you're talking about doing it fund style, you can't be like, hey, fund investors, cash call, cash call, cash call. You just can't keep doing that, right? So you guys have focused on making sure that properties are high cash flow on the buy and that it covers all the debt from the get-go. So that sounds like one of your criteria. And then obviously we're about to get into the numbers, but I'd be curious if there's any other criteria that you guys particularly look for when deciding on oh, what's a good deal and what's not in the US, in Ohio specifically. Yeah, sure. So besides the straight numbers, I feel like this one thing which you mentioned, like why we picked Ohio, like obviously I said landlord friendly state, but then another big reason was um, population. Like you said, we're not going to go invest in somewhere where there's like a 5,000 people live there. For one, it's hard to get property managers there. Vacancy rate's going to be high. All that stuff. It's not our criteria. So we were looking for places that have at least 100,000 people. And that's the minimum. And luckily, Cleveland has like over 2 million people in the city. So it's a pretty large area. And A, B, C, D classes of areas. We were kind of looking for like B, C area. Because A, you know, they're already probably optimized or they're going to be expensive. Whereas if we buy something in a C area, in an area that's developing, in five years time, it'll probably be a B, which is exactly what our building is. Like I've talked to many people 
Like if you take a look at it, the building specifically, like every block around it, it's developing. So it's like in five years, when this is all developed, it'll go from being a C plus to now it's a solid B. That's one of the big reasons. And there's opportunity, lots of buildings for sale in Cleveland. The market's just ripe. How do you go about assessing like a B, C, D area in an area like Cleveland? I call people. Yeah, you just call people. Eh? Yeah, not just like one or two people because people will be biased, right? I'll talk to like a, yeah. at least a dozen people. I talked to like 10 property managers and they all, they all gave me like, pretty much all of them told me it was a C. You know, <laughs> one guy told me it was a D and he was just biased. He just didn't like that area very much. And then I would talk to some more like underwriters or like people that work for banks, people that actually write these loans. Okay. Why would you categorize this area? And a lot of them were telling me that. And then there's actually like a website where um, it like maps out every single section of major areas of towns and it'll say ACBD and it kind of go from there. Interesting. Might be biased in that as well, but yeah, I just kind of take yeah. it all. Yeah, just start just I buy the website, start marking all our areas, like A plus areas. And I'm fine. Pump it down. Pump it down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I pulled out the numbers for the deal here too. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I saw what you guys looking at on the buy. I know you said it was break even until you'd rented out the five units, but I'd be curious after you rented out the five units, what kind of cash flow were you looking at? And then what cap rate were you forecasting on the buy and on the refinance? Like, I'm, I don't know what Cleveland generates now, but yeah. Actual cap rate on the buy, 9.31, wow. 9.31%. And on the exit, we were being conservative at just like nine, 9% exit. But in reality, a lot of buildings around there are exiting around like seven to eight. And that would help us a lot on our refi numbers, of course, but we were just being conservative to start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the cash flow, like you said, once those five are filled, so it was actually like negative 200. So almost, almost neutral, right? Once those five are filled, it just jumps up to $5,500 cash flow just right away. That's so how much money did you guys raise? About 600,000 Canadian. For the rentals and the down payment, I'm assuming, yeah? Because you'd probably need about like 30% or so for the down. 25% down. 25% wow. down. It puts you at about like 300, 350. And then you raise it out of 250 to 300 with like closing costs and acquisition fees and this and that, right? So all that. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. So aside from tenant turnaround, is there anything else that you're doing to optimize the building? I know in Ontario, a big focus is on making things more efficient from a utilities point of view to drive down expenses. Is there anything else that you're doing other than optimizing rents or is that the main play strategy here? That is the main strategy because the tenants already pay for their power and heat. So all we pay is for the water and, and then common area <laughs> stuff. Yeah. But what we can do is um, there's a thing where they, you can kind of bill back the water bill to them. We haven't really fully gone down that path yet, but we're buying two other buildings in Cleveland at the end of July. And in the marketing package, it told us like how to do that. So we'll probably dabble in that. It's like 20 bucks a month we can charge them for, for their water bill, but like spread over 24 units. You know, it adds yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, 480 more per month, right? And cap rate impact because that's crazy. So that's great, Manny. I know we're running out of time here, but quickly, like the two more units that you guys are looking at, are you like ready to share details on that or not yet? Yeah, we can talk about it quickly, man. There are two 38 unit buildings. One of them is already fully funded. And then the other one, right. we have quite a bit of interest. We're almost, almost funded. By the time this comes out, we'll probably have them bought anyway. But yeah, they're, they're in a nicer area. Where we bought the first one, it was like a C plus area. These are in a solid B, B plus area. I drove down the area. It's already been gentrified. It's nice single family houses everywhere. Yeah, the one that's not fully funded yet, it's like a big purpose built 38 unit building. It just looks nice. Has garages in the back, just need to be touched up a little bit, but it's a very attractive building. I'm pretty excited about them. What's the purchase price on them? It's about 49K door for all 76 units. Nice. 49 USD. 
Same thing about nine cap on purchase? No, a little different. So one is like 6.3 and the other one's about 7.5. Mm-hmm. And when there. they stabilize, would it be up to nine or still around the sixes and sevens because it's a better area? Yeah, better area. So okay. we, we're expecting around seven on the exit. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. That is a long cry from uh, what you get in Ontario. You know, like Ontario, you're going to, yeah. uh, you're going to Sudbury to get like six caps, <laughs> just, which is ridiculous. So like hearing the numbers down there, it's a no brainer. And likewise, Mayu and I have always been chatting about tenant regulations, all of that in Ontario. A lot of it is just going to be on appreciation. You refi, you're probably breaking even or plus a couple hundred dollars. So it's tough, tough, tough investing in Ontario. So it seems like the U.S. is making a lot more sense for Canadians, especially those with a decent amount of built up equity from the portfolio here, right? Just re-optimize your portfolio, sell some off here and transition it over to the States, sort of like what you're doing. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And even if you just compare it to even our investments in like Windsor and stuff like that, it's really just like right across the lake, not across the border, but across the lake there, right? So it's really interesting. I know we're running out of time, but you know, I'd be curious to know, obviously you've got these two other acquisitions going on. Where do you see the business going for yourself in like the next two years? Honestly, man, I just want to scale up more in the States. Kind of like we buy these two buildings, that'll be a hundred units and just like, you know, three, four months of work. You can scale up pretty quickly in the States if you, you know, you have the right team around you and you, you know, you work your butt off. So we just kind of continue to scale. Um, at a certain point, we'll probably shift away from Cleveland and look into different markets, but we just kind of want to take advantage of what we've set up there for now. And I'd like to invest back here in Halifax at some point too, more so development instead of just like buying old stock. But um, yeah, that's a little bit down the road, maybe five years down the road, but I'd, I'd partner up with someone that knows how to do it type of thing. Just kind of bring the cash. That'd be my perfect world. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And so for new investors that might like, might be listening to this, we would make it specific to the U S like what is kind of a, a key risk that you see for someone looking to get into investing in the U S now? I would say just like not knowing the markets because you hear people say like from one street to another, it can be like night and day. And it's very true because even though I told you guys the numbers on this deal, there's some deals in Cleveland, like there's some rough, rough spots. If you just look at the numbers alone on paper, it's like, this is an amazing deal. But then you actually go look at it. It's like a a war zone type of thing. So you have to be very careful about the market that you pick because once you buy that, you got to take care of it. It's yours. And especially if you're raising money, like this other people's money that you have involved here. If you go buy something with your own money and it goes terribly, whatever, you know, it's just your own cash. But like if you're losing other people's money on a crappy deal in a different country, it's not nice. I would say that I am more cautious with other people's money than I am with my own money. I will take a little bit of risk with my own money as I go, okay, let's see how this pans out. If it doesn't, it is what it is, kind of shitty. But with other people's money, you do not want to be taking those sorts of risks. Really appreciate you jumping on, Manny, it seems like you've done a lot of things in the short period of time you've been involved in investing. And it seems like you're full of energy and hunger to continue scaling your portfolio. So it's going to be really exciting to see where you go in the next few years. And I'm sure we're going to have you back on, especially once get a project update on that that building that you purchased, the 24 or 26 unit one. Maybe we'll have you give us some updates on the two other buildings that you're closing on soon. If people want to follow you, connect with you or chat with you, how could they best do so? Best way would just be reach out to me on my Instagram page. It's at shift properties, S-H-I-F properties. And yeah, one thing I have a podcast, me and my buddies, we started a podcast earlier this year. So if you guys could check us out, it's called the refined real estate podcast. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. We're in there trying to mimic what you guys do, but for the East coast. (laughs) 
You're already ahead of us because we're not on YouTube. <laughs> no, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, Yo, do, that. You gotta do that. All right, man. I appreciate you jumping on, man. We'll talk to you. All right, thanks, guys.